0: Welcome to Epiphany Fellowship's podcast, where our goal is to see people everywhere show off the glory of Christ in every area of life. We pray that you are blessed and encouraged by today's message and will allow the word of God to dwell in you richly. Amen, amen, and amen. Let us become more aware of his presence and experience the glory of his goodness. Are y'all excited to be in the house of the Lord this morning? Are you excited this morning to be with the people of God? Uh, I'm excited to be here this morning, excited to be before you, excited to worship with you. Uh, We are moving closer and closer um, to a day, amen, where we will all be able to gather together together again, uh, once again. And I'm, I'm excited for that, not only for... Uh, those of y'all who who get to come in this week and join us, uh, but also for all of you who are at home, who I know are looking forward to gathering again on Sunday morning for us to be able to worship and fellowship uh, together. And So we are, by God's grace, prayerfully getting closer and closer uh, to that day. Uh, Why don't we go ahead and jump in the Word. If you would stand with me and meet me in Hebrews, the fourth chapter. As we consider, continue our Greater Than series, meet me in Hebrews chapter 4. I told y'all last week we were going to kind of jump backwards a little bit. Um, Hebrews chapter 4, beginning at verse 14. If you're there, say amen. If you need some more time, say hold on amen amen we all there amen why don't y'all follow along with me as I read the word of the Lord this morning this is Hebrews chapter 4 verses 14 through 16 it says therefore since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens Jesus the Son of God let us hold fast to our confession for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses but one who has been tempted in every way as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, let us approach the throne of grace with boldness, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in time of need. If there was anything I wanted you to take home with you this morning, it would be that you've been given authorized access. Now, now hear me because you can gain access to some things in illegitimate ways. But you've been given authorized access. Father, we just come before you this day, humble and grateful that we get the privilege to open your word and see the truth of eternity written in it. The truth of our living God. The truth of who we are who you are, who your son is, and what he accomplished on the cross that allows us to be in relationship with you. So Father, we are grateful and thankful and humbled and even all of those words don't do justice to how we feel about you. But God, we give your name all the glory, all the honor and the praise and we pray, oh God, today that your word would go out and would touch each and every one of your people so that you might receive the fruit of our lives to the glory of your name in the name of your son Lord Jesus Christ we pray amen amen you may be seated you've been given authorized access you know one, one of the things that we know um, about the human experience is that shared experiences usually typically breed intimacy uh, what, what, what do I mean by that? I, I mean that usually if, if uh, you're someone who may have survived a traumatic experience uh, and you find somebody else that has sh- uh, e- either survived the same experience or another experience like it, there is a shared intimacy that can come from that because there, the circumstances surrounding what you went through are comparable. Right. The same could be said of professional athletes, professional athletes, they know what it's like to train a certain way, to have to eat a certain way, to have to get up and grind out thousands of shots a day or sprints during the summertime. They have to treat their bodies a certain way. They have to hit other people a certain type of way when they're playing. Only professional athletes know what it's like to be a professional athlete. There's a shared experience. You could say the same thing about addiction. If you've struggled with addiction, then somebody else who struggles with addiction uh, might be able to, to, to know what you're going through because there's a comparable experience. Being black in America gives us a sense of intimacy, shared intimacy, because there's a shared experience. And oftentimes we make experience a requirement to judge whether or not somebody can identify with what we've been through. And and, if we're honest, whether or not we deem them qualified to help. But unfortunately, just because somebody can better understand and relate to your situation doesn't mean that they can do anything about it. But Jesus not only shares in your experience... But because he had victory over it, and by it I mean the the temptation to sin that we experience during our earthly lives, what was once closed to us has now been made open. Which brings me to my first and only point for us this morning, that through Jesus, the Son of God, what was once closed has now been made open. When we find ourselves here in in, in verse 14 of of chapter 4, it's difficult to overstate the importance of this section of scripture in terms of understanding the organization of the book as a whole. This passage is a unique passage because it serves as both a conclusion uh, from the exhortation that runs from chapter 3, verse 1 to 4, 16, uh, and as the opening for the central exposition on Christ's high priesthood that we'll see through the rest of the book. And so what you have here is what's called an overlapping transition, where this passage serves as a conclusion and an introduction. Right. But 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 look what look what the preacher says here in verse 14. He says, therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Now, this adjective great sets the tone for this verse in in, in the Greek Old Testament. Great priest is equivalent to high priest. And thus, it's a redundant expression when he says great high priest. You, You technically could say great, great priest. Or high, high priest. But what he's doing is he's using this redundancy to underscore the unspeakable greatness of what this high priest is like. That as a high priest, he is far superior to the Levitical priest because he is powerful to save. See, in, in the old covenant, the position of the high priest was preeminent. You know, they all, the high priest. He saw the the ritual worship of God and function as the main representative between the nation, the people, and Yahweh. And 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 in order to be a high priest, you had to have been born of the tribe of Levi. It meaning it was hereditary. You couldn't just be voted in. You had to come from the line right? Uh, and, and the other thing about being a, a priest was that it was normally for life. You were a priest for the, from the time that you were born or in the line of a priesthood and, and from the time you were born until you died. Um, but, but, but not only that, but the priest alone, only the high priest could enter the most holy place on the annual day of atonement, and and, and and so when when the when the preacher says that 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 we have a great high priest, he's letting us know that he's a great high priest for a number of reasons. Some of which he explains later on in verse, in chapters five through ten, but I'll give you a little precursor here. He he says, he says he's he's a great high priest because he has been tempted and can sympathize with us, but unlike the earthly priest, he hasn't sinned. He says that he, he's a great high priest because he's been appointed by an oath from God, which assures his, a priest, his priesthood does not just last till the end of his earthly life, but is eternal. He, he's a great high priest because his atonement offering has been made in the context of a new and thus superior covenant. What do I mean by that? Meaning that it was presented, this offering was presented not in the earthly tabernacle, but in the heavenly tabernacle. He didn't just use the the blood of a bull or a goat. He used his own blood, which was superior, that, that unlike the old covenant offering, which had to be made year after year after year, he's a great high priest because he only had to make it once for all time. So the preacher here is trying to grab our attention from the outset that that this high priest that we're talking about is is greater than any other priest. And that's why he says that he's our great high priest. says we we have this high priest, this great high priest who, who passed through Uh, The heavens, which this this phrase that translates a Greek perfect participle and signifies the continuing validity of Christ having entered God's presence, meaning that, that 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 Jesus entering into the presence of God was not a one time thing, but was an ongoing, continuing reality. That that the access to the father that was obtained is a present and continuing reality for us. That, 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 that the access to the father that we have that was once off limits was not a one time deal. But guess what? You have continuing access to the father because it was obtained by the great high priest who is the son. It says Christ, however, was able to enter God's presence as our high priest only because he was the eternal son of God who became the fully human Jesus and offered himself to pur- provide purification for our sins. And what, 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 what the preacher here is doing when he says that we have such a great high priest who's passed through the heavens, Jesus, the son of God, guess what he's doing? He's putting Jesus's humanity and divine nature side by side for you to see. He's saying, he's saying because only God could provide you access, but only a man could die for sin. And so the great high priest had to be both. He had to be a man so that he could pay the penalty for the sins of man. But only God could satisfy the wrath of God. And so he had to be both divine, eternal as the son. And yet he had to be human as Jesus. So he, he, he says, he says, when, when I say Jesus, the son of God, I want you to know who I'm talking about. I'm talking about the God of gods and the Lord of lords, the eternal and everlasting one. The one who was there from the beginning, before the beginning, whom all things were made through and for And yet he was still a man. Jesus, the son of God. So he says, he says, he says, says, this is what this Jesus is like. And because we know who the high priest is and what he's like, what he's come to do, then I have some instructions for you. I want you to remember to hold fast to the confession that we have. This is this is what he's calling the people to is a tenacious endurance in holding to the Christian profession. He, he, he he's, and, and he's he's calling them to hold on to something that they already have. So, so he, he's not giving them something new to believe. He's not giving them something foreign to grab hold of. He's saying what you already know to be true. I want you to have a tenacious endurance to hold tight on hold tightly to. And and, and when, when when he says the confession, right, he says, well, well, Pastor Kirk, what does he mean by confession? What exactly are we confessing? He says, this, this term refers to all of the content of our confession, the substance of the faith that we profess, that there's a belief in the uniqueness and saving efficacy, or, or just means the, the, the saving efficiency or the ability to save of Jesus Christ. And secondly, to our public profession of that faith. That means that you are with. Willing to hold on to the fact that Jesus is the only one able to save and you're willing to do that publicly so he's not he's not listen to me Christian he's not talking to a private holding on and he says hold on to that confession of the faith that confession is an outward public confession of what we know to be true about Jesus the Son of God who is our great high priest and the reality that we have a high priest who surpasses every other mediator. So the author elaborates on Jesus' high priesthood in verse 15, he says, for we don't have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who's been tempted in every way as we are, and yet without sin. That, that we have a high priest who because of his own experience of temptation can sympathize with our weakness. Remember what we said about the great high priest, how he's eternal and he's divine and he's, uh, I, I could go through all of the incommunicable attributes about him, uh, but, but, but we've talked about that and yet, yet, yet he has his own personal experience with temptation uh, that allows him to sympathize with what you're going through. Thank you, Lord. Thus, rather than being far removed from the human experience, the powerful now exalted son has been in the thick of it. Doesn't, it. doesn't it say something about somebody when you're going through something and they don't have to meet you where you are, but they can talk from a distance? And the difference between somebody who's willing to step down into the griminess of where you are and stand with you and experience it with you. It it, it says something about this person. What did we say that that God that he's eternal? Right. But this eternal God. Comes near so that he can experience what you've experienced. So that when he mediates on your behalf. He can sympathize with what you've going through and what you've gone through in a way that nobody else could. Now, 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 now let's, let's be clear here. The word sympathize doesn't necessitate a sharing another's exact experience. So I can sympathize with you. I can share some commonality with you. I can say I understand and I I can understand and know how it feels, and yet my situation not be the same, or my response to your situation or to that situation not be the same. See, the word here connotes being compassionate to the point of helping. The the underlying Greek word denotes a a bond stronger than the English to sympathize. This sympathy is a sympathy that leads to active assistance. Y'all not hearing me in here. This sympathy that Christ has for those in whom he can share their, he can see their weakness. It's not the type of sympathy from a distance. That merely says I see and I can understand what you're going through. His sympathy says I see and I'm going to come with you to give you aid and assistance while you're weak I'm not going to wait for you to get strong on your own and just say man I was watching you and I'm proud that you came through he says no I know what it's like and so my sympathy means that I'm going to come help you are y'all with me that this is coming from the eternal God That, 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 let, let me use a, a two cent word. We're talking about a God who is transcendent, yeah. meaning that he's too big to understand and to know. But yet, this transcendent, eternal, holy God comes and helps your little trifling self in your weakness. What does that say about the high priest that we have? And it's not just your trifling self. He comes and aids the triflingness of all of us simultaneously and is not overwhelmed by it. That he knows intimately what you're going through. He knows intimately what I'm going through. And he can provide help to everybody and not be burnt out from caring on, on people. Listen, I, I love doing pastoral ministry. I love being a pastor, but I get tired of helping everybody. I get tired of people always wanting some of my time. I get tired of having to take phone calls and having to pray with people and visit the hospital. And it's not that I don't love the people. It's that I'm frail and I'm human and half the time I'm going through my own stuff. But God is never too busy to come to your aid. He's never overwhelmed. He's never discouraged about what's going on in his own life. He's holding up the fabric of creation and still has time for you. He can sympathize. Now that that word weakness can refer to sickness or physical weakness or general weakness related to being in the flesh or moral weakness, but in this context, it's associated with the weakness of the propensity to sin. And so Jesus didn't share in our experience of sin. The author makes it clear that he did not, that's why he said, yet without sin, but he did share in our experience of being tempted, which is a difficult aspect of life that often that too often leads to sin. Right? And, and Jesus isn't, he's not unaware of uh, the, the temptation or the, the weaknesses, that's why we in the parable of the sower, he mentions some of these difficulties. He talks about the distress or the persecution that can cause falling away or like we talked about in, in chapter two, drifting. He talks about the the worries of this world and the deceitfulness of wealth that can lead to unfruitfulness. So Jesus is quite aware of those even who have been planted as seeds of the gospel and yet still fall away or drift because of the difficulties of this life. Yet it says he's been tempted yet without sin. That has been tempted is a a a a perfect tense of the participle has been tempted and it indicates that jesus endured temptation throughout his entire life until the completion at his death and so so the pastor he has an urgent concern that his hearers would hold firm despite their impending experience of shame and persecution that 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 in every way just at, as we are makes it po- impossible to restrict Jesus's temptation to the fear of suffering what i mean by that is, is some some would say that the only time that Jesus was tempted was when he was in the garden and he prayed that the cup would be removed from him but that's not true because here the author is saying that every enticement to disobedience is a temptation to faithlessness. It's not just, it's not just about the, the fear of persecution. And the reason that that is, is applicable to this context is because this group of people was facing extreme persecution. But here he say, no. It's, it's not just about the fear of persecution that has to do with temptation. It's every enticement. Listen to me. Every enticement to disobedience is a temptation to faithlessness. So the author wants his hearers to be steadfast in their faith, whether they are tempted by the deceitfulness of sinful pleasures or by the fear of hardship. But listen, listen, his victory is the basis for our confidence. Did y'all hear me? His victory, right? He was tempted in every way like we are yet without sin. His victory is why we can have confidence that we don't have to sin either. Says so he experienced temptation as we do. But he did not respond to it as we do. Because He never yielded. He, he, never, he never gave in or, or tapped out. You know, fighting temptation is it's a lot like being in a submission hold. When you're when you when somebody's got you in a submission hold, there's a there's a lot of external pressure. Which is force being applied from an opponent. But then there's also a lot of internal pressure, which is the emotional or spiritual pain of dying to yourself. Because when you're in a submission hold, you're 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 running a narrative in your mind. This hurts really bad. I want to win. But am I willing to win at the cost of the pain? You're telling yourself it hurts and it's uncomfortable and it would feel so much better if I just gave in. That 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 once we do, yes, it feels better in the moment. But what comes after we give in grief and shame? And and, and so and so see what what you have to do when you're in this struggle of temptation is you have to be willing to go through the pain of self-denial in order to come out the other side of faithfulness. Some of us view fighting temptation as this easy battle that you're just going to be able to do on your own. That doesn't cost you anything. That doesn't hurt physically or spiritually. I'm telling you right now, sometimes saying no to sin hurts physically. Because your flesh wants to enjoy. And listen, your emotional, mental, and fleshly response of wanting to enjoy sin, right? It causes your body to react to some things. And when you got to tell your body and your mind and your heart, no, it hurts. But guess what? That's why Jesus said that you've got to die to your sin. Let me ask you a question. When's the last time dying felt good? Now, I, I don't know who in here has died before. But I know that there's a natural fear of death because of the pain. And if I can be honest, because of the unknown. Some of us are afraid to die because we don't know what's going to happen to us on the other side. We're afraid of what life free in freedom looks like. You're afraid of what it might look like on day two or day three to not watch that video or movie. You're, you're, you're afraid of what's gonna happen in your marriage if you actually try to pursue peace. You, you're, you're afraid of what's gonna happen with your kids if you stop yelling and cussing them out. You're afraid of what's gonna happen at work if you would just be faithful. Some of us are afraid of what's gonna happen on the other side, but I'm telling you right now, if you would just be faithful yeah. to what he's called you to. You can have confidence because he because listen, because because he gave uh, because he didn't give in. We can be certain that he's able to give us victory. Right. And I, I know sometimes this I, I know sometimes this uh, this brings up the question of, of whether or not Jesus could even sin. Because if we honest, you know, when 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 we try to talk about. Uh, Our our responses to sin and difficulty and we bring up Jesus, you know how we get well, he was God though (laughs) But Jesus was God But but you know what you do when you say but Jesus was God is you take away his humanity and Guess what you don't have if you take away his humanity salvation he said, so, 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 so people are always like, well, but, but Jesus, you know, he was God, though. He, he was God. Or, or the question comes up, could Jesus sin? And, and then we get into that whole conversation. I'm going to use a big theological term about impeccability or peccability, which is really just the question of whether or not Jesus could sin, right? Well, about the, the, the reality that Jesus in his divine nature was unable to sin, but yet in his humanity, his temptations were fully genuine and real and valid, Right. There's a whole conversation. I'm not going to get into that. Email me about it. Never mind. Don't email me. Go get a book and read about it. Uh, But but he says he says he was without sin yet he was without sin now it, it would be one thing if this was the only place where the pastor or the bible or god himself disclosed that jesus was without sin but thanks be to god that scripture confirms scripture right and so we've got a, 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 a first peter chapter 2 that says he committed no sin nor was any deceit found in his mouth a second corinthians chapter 5 him who knew no sin became sin on our behalf a first john chapter 1 in him there was no sin. Even Pilate a heathen declared amongst the the rest of the people I find no guilt in him. John chapter 8. I always do what pleases the father. Even Isaiah prophesied long ago that he had done no violence nor was there any deceit found in his mouth. All you got to do is look in the text to find that there are multiple professions that Jesus had never sinned. That he could not and he did not. But it's beautiful, right? That that even though Jesus sinned, that he experienced temptation in a way that he could still sympathize with what you were going through and simultaneously say, go and sin no more. That, that, That just because... He can sympathize, doesn't absolve you from walking in holiness. Don't think just because Jesus understands that he says it's okay. And so he says, he says, he says, so we have this high priest that's not unable to sympathize with our weakness, but, but in every way, just as we are was tempted, yet without sin. And so he says the, the response to that is let us approach. Because you have a high priest who passed through the heavens, who even though he was tempted, never sinned. He said, he, he said the response for us because of what he did was let us approach. This, this, this translates a present form of the verb Indicating that drawing near to God constitutes an ongoing aspect of the Christian's relationship with God. You could translate this phrase, let us constantly approach. Now listen, listen, under the old covenant, nobody could approach God's throne. Right? The Ark of the Covenant in the most holy place. Uh, Unless you were the high priest and that was only once a year however or or let me say this and that that annual once a year approach to God's throne was done with great fear because his throne was the place of judgment of sin so back in the day nobody could just walk up on God's throne unless you were a high priest only happened once a year and they were so scared because of what the throne was and meant that they had to tie a rope around their ankle just in case they got struck dead so they could be dragged out. That's what it was like to go before the throne of God. But now, those who were once locked out of being in his presence can now absolutely go before his throne to receive grace and mercy, and it's because you now have a mediator. Somebody paid something so that you could access things that were previously unavailable to you. You, you know, I, I used to work at um, I used to work at LA Fitness, right? Selling selling memberships back in the day, right? And, um, you know. I, I did not like it or enjoy it at all. But amen, bless God. It was money. Amen. You, sometimes you just got to work at jobs you don't. Sometimes you got to work. Well, let me say that clearly. Sometimes you got to work at a job you don't enjoy to put food on the table. Somebody need to hear that. And yes, I'm going to stare at the screen a little bit and I'm going to allow an awkward silence to build. <laughs> Amen. Bless God. But, but I, I used to work at, at uh, L.A. Fitness and um, we had these passes that we would give to visitors. It was a one day pass that they could use valid only for one day. And it was a one time gift they could use to come in and try out all of the equipment and the different services that we offered, but what we would do is we would put their information into the system so that they couldn't go anywhere, they couldn't go to another LA Fitness anywhere and act like they were a visitor (laughs) to utilize those privileges because their information had been put into a system. However, if they decided to purchase a membership, then they would get all the rights and privileges That would afford them access that was not available to them before. And so what has transpired for you and for me is that someone purchased access so that all of the rights and privileges that once were off the table have now been opened up for you to make use of. And it's not a one time occasion. It's not a one-time circumstance. Because you now have access, you can go before his throne whenever you want, any time of the day. Listen, unlike LA Fitness, the access to his throne don't close at 10 o'clock and don't open at 6. Listen, you ain't you you can be tired and still make your way there. You ain't even gotta get about the bed. You ain't gotta get dressed. You can be getting out the shower. It doesn't matter what you do or where you are, you have access. Yeah. You, Lord. Yeah, 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 yeah. Come on now. But the, the thing I love about it is this athor, this this access, like we said, is it's authorized access. Like you you're not sneaking your way in. Right? Like you you're not you you're not making up some little fake ID card to get in. Your friend is not giving them you their pass so you can get in on their behalf. No, no, guess what? Like he knows your name now. Once you've been covered by the blood, he knows your name. So when you show up at the throne of grace, guess what? He said, Oh no, they they good. They can come in, they on the list. They've been authorized access to my presence. He says, what, what do we find when we get there? He says, when we, when we get there and, and we approach the throne of grace with boldness, he says, what we find when we get there is grace and mercy to help in the time of need. These, these, these words, Grace and mercy are often used to describe finding favor in someone's eyes. Literally, this phrase reads that mercy and grace result in timely aid. That God's help is timely because it is always available. You, you know, like you, you ever been stuck on the side of the road and you call somebody and they say they'll be there? and they're making their way there, but it take them a while, right. like you gotta wait, <laughs> like for a long time. Right. This is the type of timely aid that you don't gotta wait on. That, that when, you, when you need help, you gotta make it to the throne. Because it's at the throne that you'll find grace and mercy for the purposes of helping. right? It's the reality that we should both draw near to God, confident of acceptance, and finding the help needed to hold fast the faith we profess. You know, the truth is, some of us, Are afraid at times to draw near because we don't believe that we've been accepted that's why some of y'all pray I mean some of y'all after you sin you don't pray because you think you got to wait some time until God forgets (laughs) or gets over it or you've built up enough spiritual credit to now come back, it's like, okay, well, I've read my Bible five days in a row. Maybe I can come back into his presence again. Listen, that's not how it works. You didn't gain you access. You can't destroy the access for you that you didn't get. He says, come boldly. So, 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 so what I want to know, people of God, is what, what is keeping you from experience the magnificent grace of God in your life? Why has guilt and shame tricked you into believing that the access you have to God through Christ is no longer available? When did you start doubting God's love and care for you instead of believing that he was working for your good even when you couldn't see it? That he sent his son to die in our place so that you and I could come into his presence and receive mercy and help from a loving father. Who would do that but God? I love what the Apostle Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 2. He says, there was a time that we were without Christ in the world, excluded from citizenship of Israel, foreigners to the covenants of promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. But then he goes on, he says, for he is our peace. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So my prayer for all of us today is that we would not be afraid to make use of the authorized access we've been given through the person and work of our great high priest. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you, God, for sending your son, sending him to an old rugged cross where the nails pierced his hands and the spear pierced his side and his blood was poured out for us so that we might have eternal life. So God, our prayer today is that we would hold fast to the confession of our faith, that Jesus, the Son of God, is the greatest mediator that we've ever had. And that because of his sacrifice, we can come before your presence. We can dwell before your presence. And that we would know that there's there's no other place that can offer what your presence offers. Because you're, you you tell us in your word that in your presence is the fullness of joy. So God, I pray that we would make our joy full because of the blessings that come from being in your presence. Grace your people, oh God, today to not stay away because of fear, To not stay away because of guilt and of shame, but to know that you've secured for them a relationship through Jesus Christ that they cannot break. So, God, I pray that you would be with us today, your people. Glorify yourself through us in every way, God, we pray in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. With that in mind Jesus as our high priest took his disciples into the upper room and for the very first time he instituted an act, a a tradition that he wanted us to carry on in remembrance of him. So the bread that he took he broke it and he blessed it And he said, this is my body, which has been beaten and bruised and shed for you. And as often as you do this, do it in remembrance of me. Let's take and eat together. And afterwards, he took the cup and he blessed it and said, this is my blood, which has been shed. So that you might experience and gain access to a relationship with God that would not be possible had I not gone to the cross. If you agree with that, let's take and drink together. People of God, we are so grateful that we had the privilege and the opportunity to worship with you today, both here in person and at home. We pray that the Lord would continue to bless you and keep you, that he would make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. That he would lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace from now and forevermore. God bless. Also, don't forget the Family Fun Day today. That's coming up at 2 o'clock, Franklin Square. We want to see you there. Um, Praise God. If we don't, we'll see you next week. God bless.